Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. Now, each week on Human Race, we tell stories about runners and the world of running. But this week, we have a different kind of episode. A Boston bonus episode for Marathon Monday. We have a little bit of... Uh, ah! Some... Ah! And one... Uh, and also... Fuck! <laughs> What is this all about? So Runner's World goes to Boston every year for the marathon, and we always hear so many great stories. And we were trying to find a way to deliver those stories to you. You know, it's it's a great pleasure that we get to hear them, but it just seems like, I don't know, there's something special about runners being able to share their stories with other runners without, you know, me intruding too much. So. My hope today is that we can share a few of these stories with you. Now, our typical human race episode might take months of development. Today, this episode was produced in three days. Three days, that's crazy for me. I recorded these stories in Runner's World's crowded pop-up shop across from the Boston Marathon Race Expo. I hope you find them as inspiring, hilarious, and, and moving as I do. We will start today's episode off with Ben. My name is Ben Mark. I'm 30 years old and I am from Needham, Massachusetts and live in Boston. Ben's story. Started in a car uh, outside of a diner on the side of, uh, on I-95. Uh, I just been, I just been broken up with. Um, and this was, was really sad, also a little funny now looking back because it included three more hours of driving up 95 to drop my ex-girlfriend off at her home and then go back to my house um, in Boston. I was getting ready to move from Philadelphia to New York that summer. So that car ride included me at first like being upset, then it was being angry, then it was being hopeful, uh, and then it was really quiet. And then she was like, do you want to put music on? I was like, I'll, I'll make that decision at some point. She asked, do you want me, do you want, my, do you want to just drop me off on the side of the road? My parents can come get me. I was like, no, I think I'd get in a lot of trouble for that. So um, I remember what I ordered because I really, I mean, a hot open-faced turkey sandwich at a diner is like great diner food. I got maybe one bite in and then couldn't eat the rest of it. So I think looking back six years, it's like that might actually be the worst part of it all. But I got home uh, that night and like, couldn't sleep and the next morning you know I woke up the next morning really sad and I was like well I I guess I have a number of options like I could binge watch whatever TV I was watching I could like eat a bunch of ice cream I could call up my friends and just whine to them or like or I could just try to go do something to get my mind off of it Um, and I think like my earlier running days that weren't so serious but it was something I'd done I ran cross country in high school but I didn't do much running. I would 
start a workout, run a mile, go to my friend Seth's house, play video games, maybe eat some pizza, and then come back and try to look like I was really tired and button mashing on a video game is pretty tiring. And so that run on that morning, uh, but I was like, well, if I, if I can just do something to get my mind off of this, that's like the first step and the best step I can take. I got into like three-year-old running shoes and just ran around a pond near my house and stopped a few times. It was the middle of summer um, and didn't think much of it, but then just kept running after I moved to New York and then ran a 10K in Prospect Park in Brooklyn and got this racing bug that has brought me six years down the road uh, about to run my fourth marathon next month and hoping to soon qualify uh, for Boston. I am engaged. Um, we're getting married on New Year's Eve um, in Toronto where my fiance is from. Canadians won't dump you at a diner. They're too nice. Uh, so that was like really the big part of it. Um, but yeah, everything. And, and, and my ex-girlfriend is engaged, I believe, to be married this summer. So it's a happy ending for everybody. Yeah. Next up, we have... I'm Caroline Askew. I am 26 years old, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. My fiancé is running his third Boston Marathon on Monday. I've always struggled with my weight, and I was really, really overweight, and I felt like my, my weight gain was out of my control. Um, I felt like I couldn't control that boys didn't like me or the cool girls didn't want to hang out with me. Um, all my friends were running cross country, so I thought, okay, be with my friends and maybe get a little bit healthier. Um, so signed up on a whim. I remember the cross country coach said, just go out and run 10 minutes. And I couldn't, I couldn't do 10 minutes. Um, but I stuck with it that year. Um, the races were a mile and a half and they just about killed me. My coach valued me just as much as she valued the girls that were the varsity, top of the pack. And we had a really good team, a really, really good team, but I felt just as important as the girls that were winning state. And that was really important to me because I didn't feel that value necessarily elsewhere. Um, it was in middle school where I started really struggling with depression. And I think at the time we thought it was just hormones. You know, she's going through puberty, she's a middle school girl. I had an amazing first semester of college. I went someplace where I didn't know anybody and broke away from broke away from my past. Um, I, people didn't know me, hadn't known me since I was in sixth grade with braces. And I was still overweight, but they hadn't watched that progression. And um, all of a sudden I was in classes with people that felt like we were at the same intellectual level. We had things in common. It wasn't that we were just forced together because of where we were from. Um, but things really went downhill. The trigger, I had a, I had a friendship that and it was with a boy. Uh, nothing romantic because no boys ever wanted me. Um, but that friendship just kind of exploded. And that was really hard because I think for the first time I'd felt like there was a guy that really valued me and then that just blew up and I'll never forget. We had, a, we had a phone conversation and I was just trying to figure out what was going on and he called me a head case. And I think he said, you're psycho, you're a head case. And that, that crushed me. And that's where my depression really just kind of took over my life and had trouble getting out of bed, wasn't happy. And throughout that semester, I kept running. 
but it started to become something totally different. It was a reason to get out of bed. It was a way to get joy and feel feel my body working. And and slowly throughout that semester and going in that summer, um, I started to change my view on food. And the emotional connection changed some. And um, and slowly I did start to lose weight and, and got healthier and um, I did get professional help for my depression. Um, um, a, a huge turning point was finally going to a doctor and to have a doctor say, okay, that's fine. This is do like this is treatable, you know, not, oh my gosh, you're a lost cause. But, and I, I very clearly remember him saying, we're going to try out this antidepressant, but you need to keep running. 26 now. So I've been out of college for a few years. Running is, running is my antidepressant. I'm on antidepressants, but running is what I can rely on and it's something that I can control and I can push myself and and I've found things out about myself that I never think I would have realized otherwise about my strength and my capacity for prevailing over problems but running has actually been an amazing thing for my faith because when I'm running it's just me and God me in this beautiful world All right, next up we have... Kyle Hops. I'm 55 years old. I'm uh, from Cedarburg, Wisconsin, after living in Green Bay for 33 years. So I feel I have to mention that. Uh, in 2008, I'm up on my roof taking down Christmas lights. A beautiful January day in Green Bay. Never knew they'd had those, but it was a nice warm day. So let's go up on the roof, take down the lights. Unfortunately, I grew up on a farm, and maybe farmers take a little too few too many risks. And so I'm up in the, on the roof with no protection. I slipped. And I slid down the porch roof like I was skiing. And I landed on my feet on the ground, but unfortunately hit the sidewalk, not the nice soft, mushy grass, and ended up breaking my left foot. But unfortunately, that set me in kind of a tailspin of taking care of uh, exercising and myself, and my weight ballooned. And uh, I remember the day I looked at a picture of me and my kids, and I go, who is that guy? And just felt I had to do something. And so I, uh, my wife and I joined a Y, and uh, I started going to some classes. At the bike class, I would, I'm an engineer by training, and I have these, this habit of doing everything by routine, and I'd always go sit in the same bike. And a uh, lady would always sit the same bike to my left. And uh, I don't know if everyone does this, but it seemed like my pace on the bike was the same. Our feet would spin the same amount, and so we'd start conversations, and over a number of weeks, we learned we had a mutual friend. It was a very good friend of ours. So we just continued to talk and get to know each other. And she said, hey, I'm training for a half marathon. Would you mind running with me? And so I never forget that first run. Went out after a bike class, not knowing that, like a triathlete, when you've biked and you go to run, your legs feel kind of like pieces of wood. And, and so it wasn't really a welcoming first run, uh, but great conversation, really enjoyed it. And so we started to do some runs together after biking. And then we started to do some runs together on the weekends and do some long runs together and ended up pacing her, running with her, not really pacing her at her first half marathon, and it was great. And I was hooked at that point. So I tried one more half marathon and then signed up for Chicago. Have these great expectations, and I hit the wall at mile 18. I never forget walking through Chinatown, at, walking through Chinatown on the marathon course, and um, <laughs> wondering if I'm ever gonna get there. 
I uh, reached out to Lisa. His aerobics instructor and also a marathoner. Who I knew kind of casually at that point and uh, said, hey, what do you think? You're an expert, you run lots of marathons. There's this 50K here in, in town. Should I run that in a couple weeks? And uh, she gave me a very pleasant reply that in, maybe involved me being crazy. Um, but I ran the Chicago Lakefront 50K, which is just a low, casual, 200 people type event and loved it as well. Well, I have a really unique opportunity. Uh, Bill Rogers comes to the Bell and Run. It's a 10K in Green Bay every year. It's one of the largest 10Ks in the United States. Super uh, supportive by the community. And I had a chance three years ago, I won a contest that allowed me to pace him. And so we ran that first one together. And I don't know why, but he had so much fun. He actually emailed me the next year and said, let's do it again. So. It, what a super night. Nice, you talk about another example of a great community. That guy gives back to running so much. And then, you know, Bill Rogers is reaching out to me. I mean, why, does that make any sense at all? So, so last year, I paced him and he won his age group. So now he's like, you got to run with me this year. So my next race is I got to work on my speed work. I got to be ready for Bill. I got to be able to pull him along. So June 10th in uh, Green Bay, and it all started from falling off a roof. The next story is about someone who is steadfast. Steadfast? It's, I'm going to write it on my arm in Sharpie. Um, probably going to get it tattooed later. I just haven't had time to design the tattoo. But uh, I'm going to write steadfast on my arm. Every time I look at my watch, I'll be able to see that steadfast. My name is Neve Nell. I'm age 47. And right now, I live at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. But that's not where I'm from. I'm from Milford, Massachusetts. When I was a kid, I ran... Uh, I played ball sports, so I only ran in between seasons to stay in shape, and then I just ran what we ran in practice. And the whole time, my dad is a runner and running 10Ks, he's running marathons, he, and you know, you don't really notice it that much as your kid, because it's not, it's, you know, we go to his races, we would help him run a race for our church, but it wasn't, it was his, it was his hobby, my hobby was chasing around a ball, doing that. But then I got to college and I started rowing. And one thing to keep in shape is to run and to keep your weight down. I was a lightweight rower. And I, I started running and I said, you know what? If I pick this up and run more than two miles that the Army requires, uh, I could probably run with my dad when I get home. And I went to the military academy. You're not allowed to come home as much as you want. You you come home. You get more privileges as you get old, as you get more senior. But it wasn't home that much. But when I was home, I was like, I, if I get up to eight miles, I could do the Sunday morning run with my dad and his friend. So I, so I started saying, okay, let me train a little bit more so I have something in common with my dad um, and I'll always be able to go home even if it's not that often and we can have a run together so that's what I did start a run uh, so my dad had three girls before he had a son and I think when we were teenagers he was a little bit lost on how do I deal with them now I don't you know not not meaningfully like trying to put a barrier up but I think he just was like I'm not sure what to do with them now that they're teenagers so I think he was maybe a little standoffish in that and I thought what's something that kind of uh, we'll make a bridge that it won't that we'll have always something in common and it won't be so you know what do I do with these now that they're growing up to be women of course you can talk about anything while you're running everybody knows this if you've got a good running partner you chat and you don't even notice the miles going by which is wonderful you can do a long run and think oh, did I really just run eight miles it felt like four or 
you'd always talk about whether the Red Sox are doing well, the Patriots are doing well. Everybody thinks the Patriots are like such a dominant team now. But when I was growing up, we wouldn't even make the playoffs. I had a playoff team because we wouldn't even make the playoffs. So we would talk about sports. We would talk about his garden. My dad was a big gardener, so whatever was grown in the garden, we would talk about politics. We'd talk about what, um, you know, the military. My dad didn't have any military experience, so he was always interested in what was doing there. Uh, my dad liked to read a lot, so we'd talk about any kind of books, you know. So then I would talk about my kids for a long time. There was a period, too, where uh, I had young toddlers, and if I put them both in the double jogger, 30 minutes was the most I could run because they would be hitting each other, you know, so he understood that we didn't, maybe we didn't do the eight miler that time I came home. Maybe we just did three because, you know, for the, there's kind of seasons in running when you can do a lot of running and sometimes you get injured. And then, you know, during the war years, of course, there were times I couldn't even come home. I I actually missed a hundredth running of uh, the Boston marathon with him. It's the last Boston he did. Um, because we got sent to Bosnia that year. It was 1996. So there's been, you know, some things missed too. Finally, he started to slow down a little bit, which was nice. So he wasn't waiting for me. We were actually more running the same pace, you know, as he got a little bit older. Um, he, he didn't mind if we were, you know, we were approaching this big hill after seven miles coming back. He would say, pick a point, you know, that we we're going to stop and walk at so we can just catch our breath. And I, if I would pick the rock that was like very close to us versus the rock that was maybe further up the hill, he started not minding as he got older because he didn't mind slowing down a little bit and kind of enjoying it a little bit better. He had heart issues, uh, which is ironic, but genetic heart issues and an arrhythmia that really stopped him from running probably at 70, maybe, maybe late 60s. So, but he would still walk. Um, you know, he liked, to, he liked to keep himself in shape. So he had a, a, um, an irregular beat in his heart and he was on a medication and it really wasn't a good idea for him. But he would still go to the gym too, uh, the local gym and lift weights and he would walk. So he'd keep himself in shape, but it was not, it was not a good idea for him to run anymore. When my, when my, the morning my father passed away, he was in hospice. So you don't call an ambulance. There's no running around it, it because you're expecting it to happen. Um, so our priest came to our house and before we called the funeral home, he asked all of us to describe our dad in one word. And my brother said steadfast. And I just thought that is the perfect description of my dad. I uh, was very fortunate that the Boston Police Department sent uh, a man, um, the deputy superintendent, uh, Mr. Lydon, came down and talked to us at Fort Leonard Wood about the marathon bombing and the police response to it, because that's my specialty within the Army is military police. And afterwards, I talked to him, and he's also Irish, uh, parents immigrated from Ireland, great person, we had a lot in common. And I kept in touch with him, and then after my father passed away at the end of January, I contacted him and I said, all the charity bibs are gone. There's no way I could qualify for this. But if you could find a way to get me an invitational bib, I would just be forever in your debt. And uh, he and Commissioner Evans, Boston Police Department, I thank them just so much. They, I think I have the last number. I have 31,239. I'm in the last wave. I'm in the last corral. I think I, I, think I got the last number. But And then I was able to tell my mom, I'm going to run this, this one for dad. So I have a T-shirt. It says, this one's for you. He's a three-time Boston Marathon finisher. So I'm just uh, just excited to run the same, you know, the same path that he had run. He's, he ran 15 marathons altogether, but he ran Boston three times. So, so I think I'm going to be thinking of my dad the whole way. I think that I hear there's going to be a nice tailwind. I think that's going to, my, that's going to be my dad uh, pushing me through. I know he's going to be there with me in Wellesley and up the um, Heartbreak Hill. And I, I'm, I've already pictured, you know, the finish 
just thinking we did that one together. You know, we didn't get to do it in 96, but we'll do it in 2017. And finally, I'd like to introduce you to... I am Krista Gunvalson. I'm 30 years old, and I live in Portland, Oregon. Uh, well, I started running after signing up for a marathon, after previously not having run at all. <laughs> so I kind of got convinced to do it and signed up and then started running in order to run the marathon. It was horrible. <laughs> um, well, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I remember I wore like three cotton tank tops because I was sweating so profusely. I thought, oh, if I layer up, I'll just soak up more sweat. At the time, I had recently moved halfway across the country from Pennsylvania to Minnesota. Um, and I was also really trying hard to overcome a 12-year struggle with an eating disorder. I had uprooted myself and I, I didn't really have uh, family or friends in the area, I didn't have a job. I basically picked up and moved and then had to start all over. Um, so I was really searching for just something to kind of get me out of the house, give me a hobby, uh, find a way to meet people. Um, at the time I definitely felt kind of lost. I developed an eating disorder as a preteen and it kind of plagued me through high school and then through college. Um, in college, I actually had to be taken out of school because I was so ill and I was hospitalized several times. Um, and I kind of just was a downward spiral for a long time. Um, moving out of Pennsylvania was kind of my exit of that life. I really wanted it to be a fresh start for me. I had been dealing with this for a really long time and um, I was kind of running out of options. I felt like there were two paths and the paths were I could keep going down the route of my eating disorder and it could eventually kill me or I could figure out a way to get over it and it was a lot harder than it sounds. Um, running just felt like this thing that I could do that was positive with my body and would give me a positive relationship with food and um, with exercise that didn't need to be so uh, related to weight or numbers. Almost immediately I found that I felt more okay about eating something I maybe wasn't okay eating before because I had run that day or um, I started feeling the the effects of like the runner's high and I felt happier throughout the day or uh, motivated to do something all day whereas I would prior feel depressed or like I wanted to stay home. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I felt like I noticed the impact pretty immediately. Um, you know, running is so powerful and positive, and if you meet other runners, you kind of get that energy right away. And um, I just saw it take shape more and more, and by the end of my first, like, four months of running, I was hooked. To do this positive thing with my body, to complete a full marathon, it's just, it's amazing to see what the body can do. And having realized that, I think really flipped a switch for me. Um, it made me understand that, you know, your body is so much more important than this vessel that gets you from point A to point B. It's, it's strong and it um, can do all these amazing things. So one of the bigger things that running gave me, you know, aside from having a positive impact on my body was giving me an outlet to just to do something and get all of this pent up, I don't know, emotion and feeling and um, stress and everything just out. Um, 
and I never really had that before. I wasn't necessarily athletic as uh, a kid, and um, having something to just release everything was just really incredible and definitely felt like therapy for me. I can't believe that I'm running any marathon at all, let alone the Boston Marathon. So it's it's really cool, and I'm not going to lie, I've like cried like 1,200 times before this, just being really overwhelmed at the accomplishment that I've achieved. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to feel like when you're running tomorrow? <laughs> uh, I imagine I'll cry for most of it. Um, I hope I just feel really happy and proud. This special Boston bonus episode was produced by me, Rachel Swaby, with help from Christine Fennessy. Thank you so much, Christine. Our theme music is by Danny Koch, and David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. Thank you to the runners who shared their stories. All right, so if you had to summarize your story in one, in one expression, grunt, cheer, saying, what would it be? The sound that a crowd, and I'll do it in a second, the sound a crowd makes when they, like, think a shot's not going to go in and then does so because that's sort of like how it went it was like uh ah like that that would be my sound Ugh, stick with it <laughs> this may something just kind of like that because that was a sound when i hit the ground <laughs> but i bounced back up <laughs> start of the sound would be complete silence it would be almost like dead silence um and then it would slowly build and like crackle and then eventually just be this like ah! like uh, kind of the end of the marathon right just people cheering and losing their minds and just being thrilled happy boston <laughs>